You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're in Talking to Jesus, part three. And uh, if you're taking notes, the message title is Dig In. Dig In. And I, I thought about that phrase because it means a few things. If you're, if you're in the military, you're in combat, you dig in in the sense that you dig a trench and you dig a foxhole and you get into that place for protection, security, and hold a position. Uh, if you've gotten into an argument lately, you may have dug in to your argument. Uh, some of you are laughing. Maybe you got an argument on your way to church. It happens, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not so spiritual that that hasn't happened with me and my wife at times. And, uh, but, but listen, uh, when, we, when you entrench yourself in a position, you're digging in. Uh, sometimes we dig in in the sense that we're digging into our job, our work. We're working intensively at another level. And here's my favorite, we start eating. Uh, that, when somebody says dig in, it means come to the table and start chowing down. Come on. That's, you know, that's one of my favorite, uh, begin eating. And uh, we're, in, we're in Luke chapter 11 today, and we're going to talk about the idea of digging in in prayer, digging in in prayer. Luke 11, uh, Luke 11, if you're here the first week, we talked about establishing patterns of prayer in our life. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer, which was a model that Jesus gave his disciples, his followers, uh, to help them to, uh, to draw near to God, to build the relationship with God. Prayer is communication with God at its heart. It's not ritual. It's not just a discipline. It's not just something we check off a list to say we've prayed, we've done our, our, our religious duty. Uh, but prayer actually does something. Prayer draws us near to God. Just like every earthly relationship, for it to grow and be healthy, you have to have communication. Uh, just like that, you need to communicate in your relationship with God. That's what prayer is. Uh, and and and. We looked at last week, what energizes or makes prayer powerful is this principle of faith. Prayer is not just something we say, well, I did it and I, I did my duty and now I'm done, but prayer is something we should actually expect God answers prayer. God moves on behalf of the prayers of you and I, his people. Like God does something. God, God still does miracles. God still provides. God still takes care of his kids. God still protects and covers. God still leads and guides. And prayer is how we connect to God. Uh, today we're gonna look at this idea of digging in and persistence. Verse five, Jesus then told a parable right after he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said to his followers, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, what in the world are you bothering me for at midnight? No, no. Uh, don't trouble me. The door is shut. My kids are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And so Jesus uses that story to illustrate something. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, in fact, I don't have any friends after midnight or before I've had coffee. <laughs> he says he won't give to him because of his, he is his friend, but because of his, here's the key word, persistence. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. I love that story. He's saying he's not gonna be friendly with him. He's just like, get out of here, take all the bread. Like, just go, please, just go. Uh, and Jesus says, so I say to you, he tells that story to bring us to this point, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and 
to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, those verses tell us that God answers prayer, which we talked about faith last week. But I want to take this a little bit further today because one thing that this, this is the New King James Bible uh, that I'm reading from, uh, it doesn't convey this idea because it's in the Greek language. And in fact, it's in the tense of this phrase is that it's not just I asked once and then I received, but it literally means in, in the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. That makes more sense when you look at the story that Jesus just told. Because it wasn't just about asking and seeking and knocking. It was about persistence in asking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. In other words, don't just stop with one request. Don't just stop with one knock. Don't just stop with one moment of seeking. In fact, this word persistence, if I could just give you a little Bible nerd study for a second, bear with me. Uh, this word persistence doesn't just mean to, uh, just to persist in the sense of like, I'm not gonna stop, but it actually means to be shameless. I mean, it's shameless to show up at somebody's house at midnight, bang on the door and say, you got bread? Y'all got any bread? Like that's shameless. I think there's two types of people that go to restaurants, that especially two, and you see this when there's something wrong with the order. There's some people that you are not gonna say anything no matter what they did to the, it doesn't matter if it's the wrong meal, if it's undercooked, overcooked, you ain't saying a thing. And there's some of you who are like, I've been ready for this fight all my life. <laughs> Send it back now. And if you're married to one of those people, like, and you're the person that doesn't like, you're like, don't do it. <laughs> don't say it, don't say anything, it's okay. I'll eat my raw meat, like, I, I don't care. And, and, and there's those two types of people. Some people are shameless in their requests. They don't care what anybody else thinks. Now that can be a bad thing, uh, but there's a positive side to this that Jesus highlights. He says, when you approach God, don't approach God with just religious tradition and form. Don't just approach God trying to say all the right things to impress people. Here's what you do, be shameless, like a child going to their father saying, I need this. Come and help, come and move, come and answer. And, and, and that's the idea of this word, to be shameless. And I, I wanna give you this idea because when it comes to prayer, I believe that many times we quit before the answer shows up. We quit before heaven answers, before heaven comes down, before hell flees. We quit because of this issue of persistence. We get discouraged. We throw in the towel, we get weary. We get disappointed and, and we don't recognize that there's actually power in persistence. I'm gonna give you four points today. Number one is that prayer, persistent prayer, is passionate prayer. Persistent prayer, I believe, is by definition passionate prayer. Why do I say that? Because things you really care about, you can't let go of. Things that really matter, you don't quit on. Things that, yeah, I could take it or leave it. It'd be nice, but not necessary. Those things you might pray about casually, but persistent prayer involves things that you say, this is the thing that keeps me up at night or gets me up in the morning. Like, this is the thing that I cannot let go of. I won't let go of it. And passionate carries this idea. My wife, she is a passionate hockey fan. She grew up, I, I married into a hockey family. I had no idea what that meant. I married into a hockey family pro players, coaches, all of that. My wife played 
And she played not as a good scorer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak because she's not in the room at the front row to throw anything at me. She, she couldn't score, but here's what she could do. She was passionate and she could be the one that took the other kids out. Like I'm talking about like second grade, third grade. And they'd be like, okay, you can't shoot. Go get them. Like go see that kid right there. He's twice your size. Take him out. Give him a black eye. No, I, okay. And, and it's sort of true because I call her the bone crusher. That was her hockey nickname that I've given to her. Um, but, but she's translated that to now she is the most, if any hockey game you go to, watch the Bulls, Toros with us, she will be the loudest fan in the building. She has this like whistle that makes your ears bleed. And she'll often say, I don't understand why everybody else isn't just as excited. I'm excited. I love to watch hockey. I'm also there for the snacks. Like, But there's something about passion when it comes to prayer that I think we lose sight of because we've reduced prayer to a ritual or just an activity, but it's disconnected to passion. And that's why we don't have persistence in prayer. Uh, maybe you've been taught that prayer is just something you're always to be quiet with. You're always to be like, like everybody be quiet. And I, we bow our heads. We do all that. I think there's reverence, there's recognition of the holiness of God. But some of us have never moved beyond that point of prayer. And all of it is, is like, okay, everybody be quiet. Shh. And it's like being at a library. Instead of going, here's what the Bible says about prayer and worship and praise and all those things. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful shout. There's something about getting beyond just, this isn't a personality thing. This is a God thing. And, and what, maybe your background was more reserved and quiet. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'd encourage you that whatever your, your posture of prayer is, is to take it to the next level in passion. Because what you're passionate about, I know you're passionate about some things because when you go to a Vikings game, Nick Wessling, you're passionate. He's passionate about everything. Uh, are you with me? Like people are passionate about certain things and then we get into church and we go. And here's, here's what, listen, if you're not ready for field goal, at least hold the baby. Like, <laughs> like whatever that next step is to take you beyond where you're at to say, God, I'm gonna respond and open my life up to you in a greater way. Persistent prayer is passionate prayer. Let me give you some Bible for that. James 5, 16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is why I believe the devil wants to rob us of our passion in prayer. Wants to keep us from being passionate about prayer throw out stuff like, well, that's just emotions. That's just, listen, here's the thing. On my wedding day, I was a little emotional. I was excited to marry my wife. Are, are you with me? Like, if we can be that excited, why can't we be excited about Jesus? Okay, that's a whole other sermon. But, but this word effective, fervent, is actually in, in the Greek language is one word, not two. One word, and it's the word energeo, which is where we get energy from. It's, it's energized, it's powerful. Here's the idea that Prayer is effective, fervent when it's energetic. And the result is it avails much. Well, that's just not the way we do things. <laughs> that's just not the way I was right. I told you my first prayer, the first prayer I learned to pray was, now, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before, I, like it is really hard to be passionate about that prayer. But when you really recognize what God's put in your heart and you say, I'm gonna be passionate 
and I'm going to be persistent after God and after what he wants to do in my life, then you don't let it go. Hebrews 10.35 says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't throw it aside like a, a worthless garment. Hold on to your confidence. It has a reward for you have need. Here's the key. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, after you've prayed, after you've believed, after you've put God first, after you've dug into the word, after you've spent time with Jesus, whatever it is, after you've served, like there's whatever it is and that's the will of God in your life as you respond to God, you have need of endurance so that you may receive the promise. I know we like things instantly, and I'm thankful for the moments in my life where God showed up in a moment, where I prayed, and no sooner had I prayed, and then I saw God work. I mean, I've seen it over and over and over again, but can I just tell you, there's been many more moments of praying and not seeing immediately. And those moments where I saw God work immediately, I go, oh, thank you, God, for that. And it builds my faith and builds my confidence. But the key to receiving the promise is not the instant moments because faith is not just for what I can see now. It's for what I can't see yet. I, and and so, so here's, here's what he says. We have need of endurance. And he goes on. He says, for in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not wait or tarry. That's That's God. Now the just shall live by faith. That's our posture, our response. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Like your, your, your spiritual DNA as a child of God is not to quit. It's not to give up. And the enemy knows that, so he works overtime. In fact, the book of Hebrews is written to Christians that were enduring persecution, much like those churches that we've supported and, and funded around the world in persecuted regions where they can't meet openly and, and, and pastors are put in prison and, and churches are not able to assemble many times, yet they're still being faithful to God because they've learned what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has to say here. There's a reward if you don't give up, if you don't throw in the towel. Number two, if you're taking notes, is the persistent prayer. First, it's passionate prayer. But persistent prayer is not about convincing God, it's about knowing God. Fasting is not a hunger strike. God, I'm gonna fast, don't you see? Like, have you, ever, have you ever fasted and like, you haven't even actually fasted yet? Like, you're for, just the fact that you're thinking, I'm gonna fast today. Now, all of a sudden, I am starving. I wasn't hungry five minutes ago, but now I'm going, I'm gonna fast today. I'm starving. Come on, God. But here's what we think. Fasting's twisting God's arm. Like, I'm gonna starve until God gives in. No, that's not the way it works. And, and prayer is likewise not me trying to convince an unwilling God to do what he doesn't wanna do. Prayer is founded on faith. And as we looked at last week, faith comes by hearing what? God's word. So when we know what God's will is, we find it in his word, we know what God's will is, we go, okay, I'm gonna pray until I see that happen. I'm gonna pray until something happens. But it's in the persistence that I want you to catch this. It's prayer is not me trying to convince God to do what he doesn't wanna do. A leper came to Jesus in Matthew 8 and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I think the moment we realize that God is real and God wants to do something, we, we go, okay, God, you're able. Like by definition, you're God. If you form the heavens and the earth, you can do anything, so, so you're able. I think that's not where our sticking point is. Our sticking point is, is he willing? Like God, you can do anything, but will you? Will you for me? 
Oh, I know you can do it for them because they have great faith, but, but what about me? Persistent prayer is not about convincing an unwilling God. Jesus tells the leper, I'm willing to be cleansed. The will of God is to answer prayer. The will of God is to move in your life. The will of God is to bring you close to God. But here's what I want you to catch. The reason why we persist in prayer, first and foremost, is not trying to convince God. It's about getting to know him better. Proverbs chapter three, great verse, verse five and six. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you know why you need to trust? Because you don't always see it all. I don't always see it all. There's some things that I, I don't know if you've ever done this, like I've gone to God and I've said, okay, God, here's the what, here's what I'm asking you to do. But let me also add something. Here's how you're gonna do it. And here's when I'd like you to do it. Like you've got to do it now. <laughs> you've got to do it by this time. And we give God not only the request for the what, but we give him the how and the when, and we add all these conditions instead of recognizing that in the process of trusting, we have to sometimes let go of the how and let go of the when. Okay, Israel's brought, I'll get back to Proverbs in a second, but I want you to see this. Israel comes out of slavery in Egypt, Pharaoh releases them, and God takes them through the wilderness. And if you look at a map, it's a short geographical region, fairly, relatively small, could cross in a few weeks. And the Bible says that God did not take them the near way because he knew that if they went the short distance, they would face a battle they weren't ready for and they'd turn back and quit. So God took them the long way around until they got stronger and stronger. And Judges says about those same people, that he made them stronger and stronger until they conquered the enemy, until they overcame the Canaanites. So, so here's the point. I go to God and go, well, I'm at point A, and I think I'm supposed to be at point C. That's what I'm praying for. So the obvious way is I should go to B. But trust means that I'm gonna trust that God, even if he takes me to QRST, <laughs> he can get me back where I need to be. You're not quite with me yet. There, there's some moments that I've had to learn to trust because even though I don't know the when or the how, I can trust who he is because I've gotten to know who God is. Even last week when we talked about when God says no, the reason why I can, I can actually rejoice in the no is because I know it means there's a better yes because I got to know him. I got to know who he is so we can trust in the Lord and lean not, verse five, on our own understanding. That's the hard part. It should happen by now. I should have been married by now. I should have had that job position by now. I should have, I should have had that opportunity by now. And we, we, we think, well, God, I'm ready now. And God goes, no, there's a fight that you're not ready for yet. And I wanna have you get to know me more than anything else. In fact, the number one thing that Israel got to know in the wilderness was who God is. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. And I used to read that and think, acknowledging, verse six, acknowledging is like, you know, I, I did this this morning. I came into this building. I said, thank you, God, for our church. Thank you for this day. Another day to serve you, alive and serving Jesus. Like that's, that's acknowledging God and that's, we're, we need to do that. But that's actually not even what this verse means. Because this word in Hebrew, sorry, another word study, this word is in Hebrew, yada, which literally is used in other places of a close, intimate knowledge. And so he, he says, in all your ways, yada, in all your ways, know him. 
closely, personally. Get to know him, and he'll direct your paths. What's the point? The more we get to know God in the place of trusting, in the place of persistent prayer, the more our faith will grow, the more our confidence will grow, and we'll be able to see, have endurance to see the promise fulfilled. Number three, persistent prayer, if we take it to the next place, is not just about changing the situation. And I know we serve a mountain-moving God. We serve a God who heals, a God who sets free, a God who can change impossible situations. Like we've seen marriages in this room, God do a miracle at this altar where every expert said you'll never make it because God showed up. But you know, moving mountains isn't the only thing that prayer is about. Prayer isn't just about changing the situation. It's also, and this is where there's very few amens, I promise you, it's about changing you and me. Why persistence? God knows there's growth he wants to accomplish in our life. Okay, one of my mentors was a, now she's in her mid-90s, has literally been a spiritual mom to, I can't tell you how many people who have changed the church world. And I had the privilege of, of serving on staff with her and learning from her and growing. And I remember something years ago she said that always stood out to me. She had it in one of her books too, and it was this statement. In the process of seeking, the seeker is changed. In the process of seeking, I can't stay the same. Why persistent prayer? Because God's after more than just an answer. God's after a transformation in me. Do you know what God's after? God wants us to finish well. Anybody can start well, few finish well. Anybody can start with good intentions. We have a world that celebrates instant success and quick success and quick answers to, to, to make more money and to have more attention and have more accolades and have more opportunities and, and have more relationships, whatever it is. And the world says there's a shortcut. But what does that shortcut cost you in the long run? Could I have, could I, could I put in more time on that business? And every business, I know we've got several business owners, it takes time, it takes significant effort and sacrifice. Anything worth doing does but let me just ask you, is success only, is success in your business worth your marriage, worth your kids? I, I, I'm a pastor and, and I've poured my heart and soul into River City Church and I'll just tell you, this is important to me, but there's one thing that's more important and of course it's Jesus. But after Jesus, it's my family. I don't wanna have a successful church and lose my kids, lose my marriage. And I'm, I'm saying that for a reason because I, that's why I, I look for and still do people like her that was, she's 94 years old, has no cool points, but has been serving Jesus faithfully generation after generation. And that's why I want to learn from people that are finishing well. I heard this story a, a while ago of, of Billy Graham towards the end of his life, his last few weeks, a couple of pastors I know went to go meet him. And they, they asked him, you know, can you, can you tell us, is there anything, uh, you know, wisdom you have to share? Uh, and they're asking him all these questions. And at the very end, Billy Graham asked these two pastors, he said, can you pray for me? Like, if Billy Graham asked you to pray for him, talk about intimidating. <laughs> and here's what he asked them. Pray that I'll finish well. Last few weeks of his life. He says, pray for me that I'd finish well. Like, come on, Billy Graham. But here's, what's, what's the point? Persistence grows our faith because God wants us to finish well. 
not just start, but so, so, so just like when you work out, you need to put in reps to get stronger, to grow your muscles, to build strength and endurance and condition your body. Your spiritual life is no different. That lady, man, she's a 90, mid-90-year-old grandma who's like not physically imposing, but man, in the spirit, she's, a, she's Arnold Schwarzenegger because she's put some reps in in prayer, grown her faith. And listen, that's, a, that's a, like, you get around some of those people, it's like, I've just been with God because they've heard from God and they've spent time with God. And, and, and I just want you to catch this because there's something God wants to grow many times in us. He wants to grow our character. He wants to grow, we, I've told you this before, but we start praying for our spouse to change, our situation to change. You know what God does? He does work on those other things, but he always, I believe, starts with us. I said that one time in church and I literally had a lady front row get up and leave. It was not Jenna, <laughs> to clarify. And she was actually related to my youth pastor at the time. And I asked him, I said, hey, what was that about? You know what? He said, well, when you said that, you know, when, when you pray for your spouse to change, God starts with you. She got up and left and I asked her what happened. And she says, I don't need to change. My husband does. <laughs> Can I just say, he probably does. But, but what if God started in us too? Because what if God was after more than just an answer? What if God was after transformation? Okay. Number four, uh, persistent prayer. This is the last one, overcomes opposition. There is more at work in the world today than the will of people. God gave us a choice. He gave us a free will. If you want to know why the world is in the mess it is today, we chose something else other than God over and over and over again from the very beginning. But there's more at work than even the will of people and even the plans of people. I got some plans for my life. You have probably have plans for your life and your future and the way things should go, and, and that's, that's good. But there's more at work than your will. There's even more at work than, and the will of God's the highest and the most important, but I want you to understand something. There's other things at work in the world, and it's spiritual opposition. The Bible gives us picture after picture of this, and I want to illustrate it with this, especially with prayer. Daniel chapter nine. Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah one day and he comes to a place where it says that God wanted to restore Jerusalem. At that time, Jerusalem was in ruins and Daniel and all of the Israelites, with very few exceptions, were taken away to the nations. They were captives, they were prisoners and, and, and Daniel reads in Jeremiah where God said that that period called desolation, that there would be 70 years long. And Daniel reads that, he sees it's the will of God, and so what does Daniel do? Does he sit back and go, well, I guess it'll just be, whatever it'll be, it'll be. God's gonna just do it. And, and, and I want you to understand something, and I, could, I, I don't have time to go through verse after verse, but, but God reveals his will and then invites us to partner with his will through prayer. Because then Daniel begins to pray, watch this. I was reading that he would accomplish 70 years from the desolations of, of Jerusalem. Verse three, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. In fact, if you keep reading, Daniel fasts and prays for 21 days, three weeks. Three weeks, that's where we get 20, 21 days of prayer. Daniel prays, he cries out to God. He already knows it's God's will because it's the word. Then he prays in response to what the word says and he continues praying. He persists in prayer. 
And I want you to see what happens next. Daniel chapter 10, you have to jump a chapter ahead, and an angel shows up. And this angel comes to Daniel. I mean, that'd be a pretty amazing day, praying and an angel shows up. But an angel shows up and talks to Daniel after three weeks of prayer after prayer after prayer. Consistent, persistent, passionate prayer. And this angel says, verse 12, don't fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, from the first day, the first moment, <laughs> he says, you were heard. Oh, church, that's, that's, that's good news. That's not just for Daniel. The moment you pray, the moment you've prayed from your heart to God's heart, he's heard you. He says, the moment you humbled yourself. and It's like when we come to God and we say, God, I'm not gonna try to figure it out on my own anymore. I'm gonna trust you. I'm not gonna depend on my ability. I'm gonna depend on your ability. I'm gonna invite you to work. See, when I work, I get my results, but when I invite God through prayer to work, I get his results. What I can't change, God can change. Who I can't change, God can change. He prays for what looks impossible, a city in ruins, generations now desolate, he cries out to God and the angel says, I've got good news. The moment you prayed, you were heard. Why three weeks then? Why 21 days? Watch what happens next. And, and you have to read the whole chapter, really get the context of this, but I want you to see this. He says, well, there was a reason I took a while. Like the moment you prayed, you were, you were heard, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. By the way, this is an angel talking to Daniel, a supernatural being. So when he says the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him, opposed him, resisted him, he's not talking about the political ruler of Persia, which is now modern day Iran. He's not saying a human being fought me, got into a wrestling match with me. He's saying, I came in response to your prayer. The moment you prayed, God heard you and sent me on an assignment. But I got into a battle because there's opposition over what you're praying for. Oh, church, if we could just get this. I'm praying for my family and all hell seems to be breaking loose. There's a battle over your family, that's why. And you're not just fighting. You're not, in fact, the Bible says this way, and we'll look at this next week. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I know the problem looks like a person. <laughs> but your battle is not with a person. Your battle is with a spiritual opposition that is trying to stop something bigger than you. The reason the enemy's trying to take out your identity and trying to steal the identity of a generation is because God has a purpose for this generation. Yes. Do you know why the enemy's opposing your prayer? Because that prayer is gonna change your family. That prayer is gonna transform your life. That prayer is gonna change your future. In fact, that prayer could be the one thing that if God does that one thing, it could change generations after you until Jesus comes back. But let me ask you, have you seen a fight? Have you dealt with opposition? What does opposition look like? What is the spiritual opposition? It takes a lot of forms. Sometimes it looks like just discouragement. I don't know why I wanna quit really bad, but I do. You may say that. I don't know why I want to throw in the towel on my marriage, but I do. 
I don't know why I wanna give up on my future. I don't know why that thing I once was passionate about in building that, that career and that, 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 that future and even that thing that God gave me, I don't know why now I just wanna quit more than anything else. Let me just submit to you, it may be because, it may be because the enemy knows how dangerous you'll be and that prayer and that answer will be when it's fulfilled, and he's gonna do everything he can to stop it. Paul said it like this, pray for me because I have an open door. God's opened a door for me, and there's many adversaries. Well, I thought if it was God, it'd be easy. Who told you that? (laughs) If it's easy, you might be playing on the wrong team. Okay, anyway. The reason why the enemy's fighting is because there's a purpose and a promise. Let me give you one last passage, and then we're gonna close in prayer. Uh, Genesis 26, Isaac, Isaac comes home to the place that he's been raised. He comes back to the land of his forefather's dad, Abraham. And Isaac departed from there, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and he dwelt there. And here's the first thing Isaac does while he's come back home. He can't go to hy V. There's no indoor plumbing. He has to dig a well. Isaac dug again. He dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines, here's the opposition, had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. They filled them with dirt, cut off, and and hoped to cut off Abraham's descendants from, from the life that would come from this water. And he called them, here's what Isaac does, he redigs the well, and he calls them the same names that his father called them. And Isaac's servants also dug in the valley, verse 19, and found there a well of running water. And you think, well, now it's time to retire, Isaac. <laughs> Kick back, enjoy the well. But the Philistines, the herdsmen of Gerar, uh, quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, and they said, the water's ours. Do you know why the enemy's fighting you? Because he thinks your family's his. He thinks your kids are his. He thinks our nation is his. He thinks our neighborhoods are his. The water's ours. So Isaac called the name of that well Essek because they quarreled with him. And then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also and they called its name Sitna and he moved from there and dug another well. This is, by my count, four wells. <laughs> he keeps digging and he keeps digging And the enemy keeps opposing, and the neighbors around, they keep filling the dirt into the well to stop it up. And so he called its name, this last one, because they did not quarrel over it. He called its name Rehoboth. He said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. He keeps digging what's been stopped up. And the enemy, well after well, is trying to keep him. Why? Because he does, the, 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 the inhabitants of that land did not want Isaac to settle there. Did not want Isaac and generations after him to possess the promise that God had given them. That's the same reason the enemy's fighting you. That's the same reason. And maybe you didn't realize it was the enemy. The Bible calls the devil. Because maybe you just thought, I don't know why I'm depressed and, 
anxious and discouraged and, and full of shame and full of fear. I don't know why I'm dealing with this. I don't know why I'm fighting these thoughts about my spouse when I thought I'd move past that. I don't know why I'm still dealing with this, but it's the enemy one moment after another trying to stop up a well that has a source of life for you in your life, in your future. And it's, watch it, it's repeated again and again. Can I just tell you, not to this, I, I don't like giving attention to the enemy for a very important reason, because he's a loser. <laughs> but the devil's not omniscient. He doesn't know every thought that pops in your brain. He doesn't know everything that's happening. But he knows human beings enough, because he's been around long enough to observe our response when the well gets filled. When the the opportunity shuts down, when the prayer seems delayed, when the, the promise seems like it's a million miles away, when we, we think, I thought I overcame this issue, but it's here again, and there's dirt again, dirt again, dirt again, and, and we thought, I got the well. Why is there dirt? Why am I dealing with this issue? I'm telling you, the reason we persist in prayer is one, to know God, then to be changed, but it's also to overcome spiritual opposition that's trying to keep us from our promise, keep us from moving forward. Jason, if you come. A few weeks ago, <laughs> a few weeks ago, I, 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 last year we had moved into a new house near where my wife grew up. And this, uh, in the front yard, there was an ash tree, like many ash trees in town, was dead. And like, if, if you know, some ash trees, they get that little green in the middle, and it's like, oh, maybe it's alive. Mine was dead, dead. And I found out how dead it was because a couple months ago we had that heavy windstorm that came through and took one of the bigger branches and just broke it right off. And this thing was super dry. So I thought, you know, my kids are out in the front yard. We have neighbor kids around. Like, I don't want this thing to break. And, and so, so we, we worked on getting a professional to come out. But before that, I'm like most guys. And I'm like, I got it. So Jenna, I'm going to do this. So I, I got an electric chainsaw, which was my first mistake. And, and I started cutting, there are two big branches over the street that were the most hazardous. So I, I cut the first one. And the second mistake I made after the electric chainsaw is I had my, my teenage son uh, be my spotter. So I had him across the street. I said, hey, uh, make sure nobody comes underneath this. You've got one job. <laughs> and, and I'd be halfway through the cut, like, hey, do you see anybody? I need you to watch the street. So, so I get through the second one. I get halfway through it, and the battery on the electric chainsaw dies. Thank you. It dies while I've got half a tree limb cut. So I got to leave this thing in the, the, the view of a teenager. <laughs> Go recharge the battery. Make sure nobody comes under it, you know. Anyway. And... Thankfully, I get them down, and as my neighbors can attest, it took the next several weeks to cut these things up at the rate of my chainsaw. And then finally, we got a professional come in, take the rest of it down, took care of what took me three weeks, took care of in a few hours. Family friend came in, chopped this sucker down, and it's great. You've got to have the right equipment. And there's some stuff in your life and mine that we try to deal with on our terms, our way. And it takes so much longer 
and it's so much more difficult. But you know what prayer is? Prayer is the right tool. It's also the right weapon to overcome spiritual opposition. There's lots of ways to deal with shame. There's lots of ways to deal with discouragement. There's lots of ways to try to deal with what we're facing, but prayer invites God, the God who created the heavens and the earth to step into my situation and yours to to do what only he can do. Prayer is an invitation. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. You know how to communicate. And if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. From your heart to God, pray about what really matters to you. Don't just pray what you think you should pray, but pray from your heart to God, a God who's real, a God who's alive, a God who answers prayer. And when there's persistence, get to know him. Get to know who God is. When you wonder, is this ever gonna change? Get to know the faithfulness of God. If God's good and this isn't good, then that just means he's not done. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. give you some let me give you some tools next week power tools <laughs> to deal with what's overcoming us but let me just I want to leave you with this persistence builds your confidence persistence builds your character persistence builds your faith You have need of endurance after you've done the will of God. They'll receive the promise. The great news is he'll bring the promise. The more I've gotten to know God, the more I don't question whether or not the promise will ever happen. The issue is not what, it's it's trusting God with the when and the how. And when you recognize opposition and you realize this isn't from God, because there's, I think the problem is we we misdiagnose the issue. We blame God for what the devil's doing. The Bible says that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He undid, not what God did, he undid what the enemy did. Jesus is here to set us free. The Holy Spirit's power, presence is here, right here and now, to do what only he can do. I'm gonna ask our altar team to come to the front we'll be out of here in just a moment, but I am going to ask you a couple things. First, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, everything I've described to you begins and ends with relationship. Jesus died on the cross not to start a religion, but to rescue me, rescue you, so that we could know God, so that we could have a home in heaven forever. And the only way to that home is Jesus relationship with Jesus that changes everything in my life. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're in here and you say, I don't know God like you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If I'm honest, things are not where they need to be with God. Here's the good news. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus came to rescue me and you. And he gives the greater well than Isaac dug. It's a well of eternal life. It's a well of hope that doesn't run out. 
It's a well of peace and joy and purpose that nothing in this world can provide you but God who made you. Jesus has already done everything that's needed through his work on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could come to God. Just as we are, we can come to God, just like you are right now, right here and now. All your mistakes, all your failures, all your past, all your present, give it to Jesus. And if you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus like I'm describing, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus because he did everything that's needed. What's our part? Our part is to surrender. Invite Jesus into the center of our life. Put our trust in him. If you're in here and you've been a Christian, but man, that, that well's gotten stopped up by some dirt. And today you need to redig that well. Say, I need, to, I need God again in my life. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I need to give God everything. If either of those are for you right here and now. You say, would you pray with me, Brian? I'm gonna ask you to respond to God by lifting your hands. Say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need God in my life. Thank you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.